It's my first time in Boston. I absolutely love you guys. I love Daryl and Bethany, and I'm just so inspired by them and by a lot of familiar faces here. We've been in uh, um, Connecticut at Gateway Church yesterday. We had a phenomenal time, and here we are right now. I'm really, well, that was phenomenal worship, wasn't it? <laughs> that was good. <laughs> anyway, Father, we just ask you to come right now. I ask you to release a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. I ask you to open up our eyes. We ask for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We ask for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We ask you, God, that you would quicken our minds and quicken our hearts and that you would just bring revelation, that we lay down all of our old ideas, all of our own even, just over our own ideas. God, we just set ourselves before we say, God, release the revelation of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Um, I'm going to be with you now and then tonight, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun uh, few uh, hours we have together. I, I feel real stirring, and I, you know, I was talking with Bethany before about um, uh, just about different things, and, and I want to take this afternoon to talk to you about what the Lord's doing in the earth and about what the Lord's establishing in New England, in Boston, all throughout New England. He is, he is building His house. The Lord is establishing His house, and, and I'm excited to be a part of it. We're in the midst of an extreme home makeover right now in the body of Christ. We're in the midst of an extreme home makeover, and uh, Jesus is tie. <laughs> oh, whatever, I don't know. There is ascending, and, uh, and you know, uh, Mike Bickle, our director in Kansas City, I've been, me and my family, my beautiful wife Dana, led worship and uh, prophetic singer. Uh, we've been in Kansas City for 10 years. We've got uh, three beautiful daughters, 11-year-old Trinity, 7-year-old Maya, and four-month-old Hadassah, and uh, we are having a blast, and uh, it's exciting. And um, back in 1982, our, our director, Mike Bickle, was in Cairo, Egypt, and he was visiting all the poorest places across the earth to get, get the Lord's heart for the poor of the earth. And while he was in Cairo, the, uh, uh, he was in some just, you know, real you know, impoverished hotel, and he's sitting there, and he goes into like a trance-like encounter that like the apostle Peter had in Acts chapter 10 when the Lord opened up a door into the Gentile world through Cornelius. He had a trance encounter, and the, and the Lord spoke to him in this encounter. He says, uh, I'm going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. And he knew that that meant both how the unbelievers would see the church but also it would have to do with how the church is functioning. And, and there's many components to the shift that's taking place in the body of Christ and how the church is going to begin to move and how this expression is going to change. But I believe at the forefront and one of the main shifts that's going to come in the body of Christ is that we are going to see the prayer rooms move from the back room from a few loud women who cry out during our church services and we're going to see it move from the back room, and we're going to see it move to the front room. It's already happening. I'm not telling you it's going to happen. I'm telling you it's happening. Cinderella is coming from the back room, and the Lord's about to bring her out of hiding, 
and about to put the glass slip, slipper on, and we're about to see the government released again through the church. I'm serious. I tell you, again, I want to say it's not coming, it's happening. The Lord himself is shaking everything that can be shaken to bring the church into her primary identity, individually and corporately, as a kingdom of priests who take their stand before him, who minister to his heart, and then through agreement with the very things that he longs to do, speaks them back to him and prophesies it over our cities and over our nations. I'm talking to the choir. But I'm talking to more than people in a room. I prophesy to principalities and powers. We take our stand and we prophesy to the powers of saying, His kingdom's coming. It's a wisdom not of man's wisdom. It's not of man's ingenuity. But it's the wisdom of God that's stronger than the wisdom of men. It looks weak. It looks foolish. It looks insignificant. But singing songs of the worth of the Lamb is how principalities and powers are toppled down. It's how atmospheres are changed. And he's restoring back that government is released through worship and intercession. I'm so stirred with it, I feel a stirring in my heart that we walk through verses and begin to lay forth a clear uh, understanding in the Word, in history of what the Lord's doing. I want to tell you it's happening. It's happening and I'm excited. It's going to, be, it's going to increase as the Lord continues to shake us. The devil isn't our greatest enemy in this hour. It's God, and he is going to confront the wisdom of man, a wisdom that has been built on how much, how big, how many, and he's going to confront it, and he's going to bring us to our knees again, that we begin to build on the wisdom of God so that no flesh should glory in his presence, 1 Corinthians 2. Anyway. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm not talking about a bunch of people looking for a new thing that are getting riled up, just saying, well, we've got to fix something. Let's just get excited and say and be a bunch of rebels with home groups. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a bunch of rebels. I'm just talking about Jesus fighting for the heart of his bride again. Jesus did not die for 45 minutes and 20 bucks. I'm sorry, 30 minutes in most of our churches. He didn't die for a one-segment, compartmentalized section of one day a week so that we can live the other six and three-quarter days of our week how we want to. Beloved, He is worthy of night and day worship and intercession. He is worthy of adoration. He is worthy of lives who live before Him. Because it's bigger, though the Lord is going to establish night and day prayer, 24-7 prayer. He's doing that. That's God's work. He's giving building permits all throughout the earth right now. But even what's gripping my heart in the same manner is that God is releasing the spirit of the house of prayer on every believer. And he is releasing that heart upon us. Jesus called his house a house of what? House of what? He didn't call it a house of evangelism. He didn't call it a house of healing or a house of prophecy. What are you saying, Corey? I'm saying that government is established when we get reconnected to who we are and what he died for, that he died for nearness. Jesus died for nearness. That we would live close to the Father, 
that we would live within the Holy of Holies, that we would take our stand before Him, speak back the very words back to Him, and out of that centerpiece being established again, evangelism would break out. Healing would break out. Prophecy, mercy, missions, kingdom would break out from that priestly dimension. And that's what we're going to see take place in this hour is that Jesus died for you. He wanted you. He thought you. he was getting you in the deal. And that's what we're going to see continually increase. I just want to run through some verses. Is that okay? Tonight we're going to go after, we're going to see, a, I'm going to preach on the spirit of revelation, the knowledge of God tonight, the greatness of God. It's my ultimate passion because I believe that the, the restoration to worship and prayer is a new view of God is the restoration to a biblical view of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we need the revelation of the knowledge of God back in our pulpits, back in our churches. And I just long for that to happen, amen? Father, we ask you to release it, amen? We know by the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to see a church come forth. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, The Spirit and the Bride... Say, come Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say, come Lord Jesus. Three things are going to take place. Are y'all with me to run through some verses right now? Y'all with me? Help us, Lord. I released all my cannons. I won't release too many more offensive things for a little bit. I promise. (laughs) Maybe I will. I'm not trying to be offensive. What I'm trying to do is that Jesus wants his people. And he is into removing idolatry in the church. He's going to raise up shepherds after his own heart who are going to feed people on the knowledge of him and not on the knowledge of them. We're going to see Jeremiah 3.15 shepherds according to his heart who will feed people on God. God is the answer for 10,000 questions. But at the same time, God is the greatest problem confronting the church. Because we would rather pay somebody money to go up the mountain and talk to God for us than us deal with Him for ourselves. I want to tell you something right now. Who in here has given your life to Jesus? You are born of the Spirit. You cannot get any closer and you cannot get any cleaner than you are right now in the presence of God. And that your job description, both now and in eternity, is to stand, serve, minister, and burn before God. That is your ultimate heavenly calling. What is Jesus forever living to do at the right hand of God? To make intercession, Hebrews 7.25. He is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, which means it's an eternal priesthood. It's not of an earthly lineage that Jesus has died to get the high ground in intercession. Jesus died to get the high ground in intercession, now forever releasing, and that we enter into that reality. Hebrews 3.1, I want you to write these verses down. It says this, that you and I are partakers of the heavenly calling. Everybody say heavenly calling. Which means right now you have a heavenly calling. Now all of our earthly callings may differ in their expression, but all of us have the same heavenly calling. 
and it's union with the man at the right hand. We are joined with that man. We are one with that man. We are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. The life that he lived, we live. The death he died, we died. The burial, the resurrection, and the ascension, and that we are now partakers of the heavenly calling. You have a heavenly calling. The problem is, is that we're in an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. We don't know what he paid. We don't know what he's gone through and who we are in Christ. Therefore, we're running around like chickens with our heads cut off trying to find our calling. And I promise you, when you connect to your heavenly calling, your earthly function takes on a whole nother, whole nother reality. We need the Lord. We need a breakout. We need a spirit of revelation. My cry, everybody's carrying their different burdens. We're laboring for the ending of abortion. We're laboring for the ending of human trafficking. We're laboring for justice to break in. My greatest burden is back row Christians every Sunday morning who live on the fringes of a religious system and who have no clue what he paid, what he died for, and the position and the place that they now have in Christ and how the power of God is loosed when they agree with what God says he longs to do. And we have billions of believers in this nation, in the nations, who show up once a week, throw money into a bucket, and who live so far, who live in bondage to pornography, and bondage to self-hatred, and bondage to shame, living on the fringes. And my cry is, God, raise up shepherds that would get out of the way and begin to introduce the body of Christ to Jesus. And that government is released through priesthood. Hands raised, government loosed. That God, your power would be released. Your power would be released, God. Regardless of our earthly calling. When we connect with this, we're going to see a transformation take place. It's happening. God's going to establish it. It's happening. Powers released. Kingdoms released through this. I just want to run, hit a couple of these verses. I hit Revelation 22 to you. We're going to see three things take place at the end of the age. One is the Holy Spirit and the church are going to come into unity with one another. <laughs> maybe we saw it for a brief moment in the book of Acts and maybe a couple of times throughout history, but we are going to see at a culmination the deep longings of the Holy Spirit and the deep longings of the church are going to become one reality. The dreams of the Holy Spirit and the dreams of the church are going to become one reality and we're going to see unity. Heaven and earth. Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost has always been saying, come Lord Jesus. That's his job description. To be a, be a, a foretaste of the ultimate glory that would come. But we're going to see a church come into agreement with them. The second thing that we're going to see is we're going to see the church come into a bridal identity. The church is going to understand that she is the cherished, the nourished, the beloved of the king, that she is the one who has been brought into partnership with the Lamb of God to be a helper comparable. Don't you love Genesis? Adam sees the he-goat and the she-goat, he-cow and she-cow, he-well and she-well, says, what about my she? The Lord says, good idea. Lays him down. Takes his rib out, makes this creature from the rib, and we see the first wedding in the Bible. The father walking the daughter down the aisle. 
and presenting her to the son. He was so undone by this that he went, whoa, man. (laughs) If you do hyphens. (laughs) It's woman. A helper comparable. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's not good that man remain alone. And, And Paul in Ephesians 5 interprets that encounter as Christ in the church. Because he says, actually, when Christ was crucified 2,000 years, none of his bones were broken, but his side was pierced, and blood and water flowed from his side. And over the last 2,000 years, the Father's been in the workshop. (laughs) And he has been preparing a bride from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And the word of the Lord declares that in the culmination of the hour to where Jesus enters into his last day's ministry, It's called taking the scroll from the right hand of the Father and executing the end-time plan of the Father. The Father is going to present to him a bride as a helper comparable to him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, mind of his mind, and heart of his heart to say, you're not going to do this alone. But we're going to find a witness on the earth that loves your leadership. And that agrees with your leadership and is the voice to release your leadership in the earth and in the heavens. That's what we're going to see come about. Revelation 5. And you have made us. Everybody say made us. Which means he's been working on something. A kingdom of priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. We're going to see a bridal identity. A church comes forth out of shame out of guilt, out of this taskmaster dead religion. We're going to come out of the bondages of fear and those taskmasters. I've been so gripped in this hour. God's raising up deliverers like Moses that's coming into Egypt-like encounters saying, let my people go that they may worship me. Worship. Worship and government. Let my people go from hard taskmasters of religion, of dead religious systems that heap fear and manipulation and control on people, keeping them in bondage, having no clue who they are. Let my people go that they may worship me. He longs for you. He wants you. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to see your face. He loves you. He longs for you. Your sin isn't too much for him. Your bondage isn't too much for him. He's going to break off the power of shame and guilt and condemnation. He's going to wash her. We've been in an awakening for the last 11 months in Kansas City. It's been a glorious season. 7,000 testimonies. And one of our prophetic people there, Shelly Hundley, had this encounter And she saw, uh, and in this encounter, she was driving a car, and the Lord was in the back, and the bride was in his lap. And what he was doing in the encounter is he had his hand, and he was massaging her heart. (laughs) That's all he was doing was massaging her heart, massaging her heart. And Shelly's looking back at the Lord saying, Lord, my goodness, she looks rough. Or she's thinking it to herself. She goes, oh my goodness, she looks rough. And the Lord answers her thought by saying, you should have seen her when I found her. 
Right now, the Lord is massaging the heart of the church. He's going to resuscitate her. He's going to bring her back to life, to living from the heart. Guys, I want to tell you something right now. We're going to see a bridal identity. I, I don't know. It comes down to this. I'm the cherished. I'm the beloved. And I'm the one he wants. And that's going to bring you off the fringes of dead religion. And it's going to bring you into his presence. He wants me. What do you think? Isaiah 62. Write this one down. What is going to set end time watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem that will not rest day or night until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth? What's going to set? What is going to be the revelation that's going to set end time watchmen? A new name. Hephzibah. My delight is in you. A bridegroom rejoicing over his bride so shall your God rejoice over you. This is going to break the power of fear. That's why prayer meetings are the hardest meeting to get people to. Who wants to hang out with an ugly, angry person? Nobody. But yet, that's what we've been fed of the revelation of God. That's why the revelation of God is, it directly correlates in every area of our life. And he says, I'm going to rejoice over her as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. I'm going to break the funk off her. I'm going to break her thinking she's accepted because she does usher duty. Or she takes up offerings. Or she parks cars. Or she's a pastor. Or she does things for me. Uh-uh. I'm going to rejoice over her until she gets it settled. It's her I really like. <laughs> you want to be around somebody that does that, amen? Zephaniah 3 says he will quiet you with his love. You know what that means? He's going to settle Boston new, uh, 5 o'clock traffic in your soul. <laughs> Bridal identity. I don't even have time to go into all this. Last thing we're going to see is a spirit of prayer coming on the church unlike anything we've ever seen before. A spirit of prayer, a spirit of prayer. Unity with Holy Spirit, bridal identity, and a spirit of prayer. Come! Kingdom, come! We'll be done on earth as it is in heaven. Manifest and bring down that kingdom. Bring it down. Bring it down. I'm not talking about good revival meetings. Bring it down. Now he's going to increase good revival meetings to attest to the kingdom coming down. But he is going to, do you understand that Jesus isn't coming back in a vacuum? We all want to go up and Jesus wants us to grow up until we can enter into our calling as the bride of Christ and call him back. It's a really good word. <laughs> do you understand that nothing comes? Do you understand that before the Virgin Mary was born, there was a company, Anna, Simeon, and a whole company that literally prepared the atmosphere and called in the fullness of time. They hastened 
the coming of the Lord. Before the virgin, Mary was born. These companies were saying, I will not see death until I've seen the Lord's Christ. A prophetic anointing resting on them. An anointing to serve God with prayer and fasting. And not departing until. That understanding right there of calling in the coming of the Lord. That's the hour that we're living in. We're going to see it come about. Isaiah, you got to write this down. Isaiah 64. We all know this verse. But do you understand it's right after Isaiah has seen the revelation of Jesus moving up through modern-day Jordan, killing people, destroying the nations, blood all upon his garment, and then the cry comes in light of Jesus releasing justice and righteousness in the nations. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The mountains would shake at your presence as fire causes water to boil, that you would make your name known to your adversaries. And then he says, nobody has seen a God like you who, what's the thing that makes our God different than all the other gods? He acts when his people wait for him. And what does that word wait mean? It means to entwine oneself around. That word wait means to entwine oneself around. In the same way that ivy grows around a tree, so the ones who wait, they become entwined with his heart, entwined with his mind, entwined with his purposes, unto calling down his kingdom, and that's how it's manifested. He's the God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You know, I'm at IHOP, and people ask me sometimes, what do you do? I said, I'm a waiter at IHOP. (laughs) (laughs) it's a good job what do you guys think about this do you believe it it's happening turn with me to Malachi chapter 1 It's always twofold that I feel. I always feel it individually for our hearts because this is the thing. We don't know who we are. And we say, well, we don't know who we are, but he is going to massage our hearts to where we come alive again. We're going to come alive again. We're going to dream again. We're going to believe again. We're going to ask like we've never asked. We're going to believe like we've never believed. We're going to sing like we've never sung. Hosea 2, I'm going to bring her to the wilderness and she will sing like she did in the days of her youth. She's going to sing again. God's going to release singers. Where are my singers in here? Come on, don't be ashamed. Not just shower singers. Where are my real singers? Good. The singers. The greatest end-time anointing that God is releasing is prophetic singers. The greatest end-time anointing, God, like those kings of old who sent the singers before the army. So God is going to raise up prophetic singers that sing in the house of the Lord. And atmospheres will be changed and God routes out the enemy as songs go forth. 
The end times has more to say about singing than any other reality. Isaiah 24. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs. Glory to the righteous one. From the dawning of the sun we've heard songs. We're going to look here in a little bit at Isaiah 42. Go, go there with me real quick. Go Isaiah 42. I don't know where to go. There's just so many good places. <laughs> Isaiah 42. I just want to tell you this right now. The only church in the last days is the praying church. It's not some side sect for a few rebels who want to see more livelier meetings. All right? We're going to see every true believer in these coming days will be ones filled with the prophetic anointing and who are operating in a spirit of prayer. Who feels the shift? Who feels it underneath you? Who feels it in your, in your bank accounts? Who feels it? It's, it's shaking. God's shaking things. Haggai, even when he talks about the coming shakings, it's all about the reallocating of finances for the building of the temple. Isaiah 42, verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Salah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord. Declare His praise in the coastlands. Powerful. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yet shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. It's called global travail. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains, the hills, dry up all their vegetation and make the rivers coastlands, dry up the pools and bring the blind by a way they did not know. The thing that inaugurates and sets Jesus into his end time ministry is the new song coming forth out of the coastlands, coming from the nations, the tribes, tongues, people, and nation, the new song breaking out throughout the earth. And it's Jesus come and finish what you started. <laughs> you know, I was, at the, I was at the One Thing conference about three years ago. Everybody in this room heard Misty Edwards. He's doing a new thing, so we're singing a new song. Everybody heard that song? You need to if you haven't. And I'm, I'm sitting in a room with 20,000 people, mostly kids, I'm getting old, so kids just hit 33. It's all just getting weird from here. <laughs> You're like, shut up. I don't want to hear it. And I'm watching 20,000 kids. You know, none of us really know what we're singing about, but they're singing. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave, and he's not staying in heaven forever. He's doing a new thing. So we're singing a new song. He's doing a new thing, so we're singing a new song. And I'm watching 20,000 just sing. 
And I'm thinking, I'm looking back and I'm thinking in my mind, thinking, God, I was thinking about about 50 years ago and I was thinking about what was the theme song over a generation 50 years ago. And I was thinking about Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. And I was thinking to myself while I'm watching this, go, God, we're never going to exhaust the glory of the lamb slain for the sins of the world. We will never exhaust the revelation of the incarnation, God becoming a man. We will forever be standing in awe that the fullness of God took on our form. And we'll never exhaust the glorious mystery of the sins of the world being atoned for in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. We will forever be singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. But what was hitting me is that there's a new revelation or a new song that's beginning to break forth out of the nations. And it's Jesus entering into his last day's ministry. And it's taking the scroll and finishing what it started. And this is what hit me. 20,000 kids are singing it. 20,000 kids are singing it, which means there's a new song. It's not new and that it's not in the Bible, but it's new and that our hearts are getting awakened and there's a new spirit of revelation that's beginning to hit us saying business as usual isn't continuing on anymore. It's an hour of justice and justice is deeply connected to the new song. To a new prayer for justice to break in with power. Do you hear the song? Do you hear it? Do you hear the song? Is it in you? Is there a cry that we're about to see Jesus in his last day's ministry? Not coming back. He's not going to die again. Amen? Is he going to be born in Bethlehem again? That'd be weird. 33-year-old man in a stable. The Bible says he dies once. And he'll come a second time. He only died once for the sacrifice of the sins of the world. Guys, do we understand that the Bible has more to say about the second coming of Jesus than what the four Gospels give us of his first coming? And how incomplete, we are are not even prepared, nor do we have that reality burning in us because it changes the way that we pray. It changes the way that we understand church. It changes the way that we understand what we're about in our lives and in our families. It changes home life and family life. You know, I was going to do, I preached on this last night, I was going to do a uh, conference in Montana about uh, uh, three months ago, and I was going to do a Days of Noah conference. And it was one, it's one of my CDs, so they're calling after that. And I was actually talking to the Lord about it on the way over. My God, What's the deal with Days of Noah? He preached for 120 years. Nobody but his family got saved. Come on, God. Come on, talk to me. That's a rough ministry. <laughs> I can just see him talking to Ham and Sham and Japheth. Boys, you better get your behinds in the boats. Those were his boys' names. Laugh. Can you imagine naming your son Ham? <laughs> and the Lord spoke to me. I'm saying, God, nobody but his family got saved. And he spoke it back to me. And he says, nobody but his family got saved. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man that we're going to see arcs of safety 
built in our homes. God's going to raise up Noah in homes for marriages, for families, for children, and that the coming revival is actually going to be a revival in homes at the same time. Because Jesus connects his building of the ark to one small exhortation, five letters. Watch and pray. That is what building an ark looks like in this generation. Lives of a spirit of revelation. Watch. Get a prophetic anointing on your life. And get a spirit of prayer on your life, a spirit of faith. Get a spirit of revelation and a spirit of faith. Are you with me? Revelation chapter 5. I just feel led by the Lord. we got about 20 minutes. Labor with me here. Can we labor in the Word? I know it's been a long week, but y'all labor with me. I feel led to give you as many of these verses because we want to topple down every argument, every stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And I, Because I want us to understand that when I stand before the Lord, I'm not wishing for God to change Boston. I'm not hoping God changes Boston. I know He's doing it as I ask Him to do it. When we gather together, I'm not wishing for God to change our cities. Wishing doesn't do anything. Hoping doesn't do anything. Knowing does something. We've got to get into that mode of faith. Jesus. Revelation 5, you know what happens. The cry goes out. Who's going to take the scroll out of the right hand of the Father? Nobody's worthy. John gets all upset. Nobody's found worthy to release justice. One of the elders says, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has prevailed to take this scroll and open up its seals. Well, John's looking for a lion. Where's the lion? Where's the lion? And he sees a lamb. Everybody say a lamb. As though it had been slain. So you see a dead lamb with seven horns, perfect authority, and seven eyes, perfect wisdom. So what would the most powerful and the smartest person in the world do in conjunction with taking that scroll. So we see the lamb with seven horns, seven eyes, and he comes in the midst of the elders and the four living creatures, and he takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fall down, and in one hand they have a harp, music, And in the other hand, they have bowls, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open up its seals, for you have redeemed us out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and you have made us a kingdom of priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. (laughs) That's another conference. What do we see come forth when the Lamb of God takes the scroll? Now, Jesus has always been worthy since the day of his ascension. Amen? Are you all with me today? Do we need to go right into a prayer meeting just to hold you? We need to get, a, we need to get an appetite about we can sit in front of a movie for two hours, but we can't handle the Word for 40 minutes. Can we get in the Word? That we've got, that we see him come and take the scroll. And what would the wisest, 
Because usually what you've seen is usually the most powerful people who have all the resources, they're usually really stupid. <laughs> and sometimes the person who got the brains, they don't have the resources. Very rarely do you see the smartest and the most powerful person being combined in one person. And what would the wisest and smartest person do to actually see that scroll that he just took administrated in the earth? It's called a harp and a bowl. And it's called a new song. Out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation coming forth out of every language group all over the earth saying, we trust you, Lamb of God. We trust you to take this scroll and to administrate the end time plan of the Father. We say it's right. We trust you. Why do we trust you? Because you experienced the greatest injustice ever, the cross. And you've made us a helper comparable. Last one. Turn with me to Malachi. Let's go to Malachi. I wanted to go more this route this afternoon because you guys are the serious ones who are going to show up on a Saturday afternoon. Tonight, we're going to go more. I just want to see the heavens open. We're going to break it open. We're going to prophesy and go nuts and all that kind of stuff. Malachi 1.11. What's God's answer to the nation of Israel not accepting her priestly calling? Exodus 19, he called Israel a kingdom of priests. And what's God's answer when Israel refuses to enter into a priestly calling? Look at Malachi 1 verse 10. He says this, Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? Which means this, God says, how about we do this? Priesthood, shut the doors. Shut it down. So you won't keep kindling a fire on my altar in vain. He goes, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. He goes, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I'm going to go to all the Gentiles, and they are going to show you what it looks like. (laughs) And this is going to provoke you to jealousy. This is going to break off blindness off of you so that you can see me for who I am and receive me as your Messiah. The great provocation at the end of the age. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense. Everybody say incense. Say it again. Say it again. Now say incense. Shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations. What's God's answer? He says, I'm going to go to Tajikistan. I'm going to go to New Zealand. I'm going to go to China. I'm going to Japan. I'm going to Korea. I'm going to Europe. 
I'm going to England. I'm going to Scandinavia. I'm going to Canada, North America, Latin America, the islands. I'm going to New Zealand and Australia. I'm going to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And I'm going to raise up incense ministries all over the earth that will converge as the great release of the judgment of God, of the great release of the presence of God coming, the veil being ripped off the nation of Israel, the return of Jesus, (laughs) come on incense he goes this is what I'm going to do I'm going to raise up incense everywhere why because I'm a great king I'm beautiful I'm worthy (laughs) and they're going to see me worthy and they're going to show you how it's done that's your job God wants to raise up incense in Boston No, no, we're not coming up with it. We're not trying to get God's attention to do something here. You understand, intercession is not us trying to get God's attention. Intercession is God getting our attention. I'm not trying to twist his arm. Oh, God, come and help our messed up city. We've got it set in some way like we're more interested in seeing justice break in than he is. He's got more invested interest. We've got millions of years. We've got these these prophecies who have gone before us and he says it's established my name shall be great incense will be offered I'm going to raise up incense he saw Bethany and Daryl Temple he saw J-Hop Boston 2,000 years ago 4,000 years ago at the creation of the world he says how I'm going to release this great plan I'm going to set watchmen Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Even if we don't fully understand what all of the the Israel and the Jerusalem reality is about, you being set contending for the breakout of God in Boston and in New England is going to culminate with that reality. Whether or not you understand it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter per se right now. God's going to bring understanding to us so that God wants to set Boston and New England on fire because he wants to raise up incense Because it's all going to the veil getting ripped off the nation of Israel. That's what it's about. That's why he's setting watchmen who won't rest. Day or night. He's going to do it 24-7 in nations all over the earth, cities all over the earth. But beloved, it's a spirit of prayer. It's a revelation that the great provocation. Gentiles, I don't want you to be ignorant. The mystery of Israel and the church, lest you become arrogant and you think this is only about you. God in His mercy and His kindness has gone, grafted in wild olive branches into the root system of Israel to provoke her, to bring her forth into her destiny, to bring back life from the dead. (laughs) We having fun yet? He's going to do it. He's doing it. Is he doing it in you? I want unity with the Holy Spirit. I want a bridal identity, and I want a spirit of prayer to come upon my life. That's what we take away from this meeting today, is I want unity with the Holy Spirit, a bridal identity, and I want a spirit of prayer to come upon my life. You know what a spirit of prayer looks like? It's not just because I used to just to think, now it's going to increase there, because when Jesus says, I've been quiet for a long time, now I'm about to pant and gasp like a woman in childbirth, you understand that travail is going to be one of the hallmarks of the end time prayer movement. 
we are going to see Jesus in heaven and his body on the earth in union, and he is going to travail through the body of Christ. He's going to travail. He's going to pant and gasp through his people. But do you understand what the spirit of prayer is? It's the confidence of the open hearing ear of the Father over my life right now. (laughs) And that I talk freely into his ears and he moves when I ask him to. (laughs) You know, the, the resurrection of Lazarus, you know what's more powerful to me than him raising Lazarus from the dead? It's what he said before he raised him. He says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And then he says, Father, you always hear me. He lived before the open ear of a father. Guys, we're not trying to get God's attention here. And he actually said this. He goes, I didn't say this because I just felt like I said it just for your sakes. So you could hear what it sounds like for a son to talk into the open ear of a father. You want to know what it sounds like for a son to talk into the open ear of a father? And it says, when he had said this, he said, Lazarus, come forth. We're about to see a dead Lazarus generation get raised. We're about to see a resurrection of these college campuses. We're about to see a revival spirit. And it's going to come when the church gets out of prophets of Baal mode, going around cutting themselves, just yelling, doing as many dances as we can to get his attention, and just begins to speak up into the ear of the open ear of the Father. He says, Father, come and do what you long to do. Now, that, hap- that can be messy, that can be travailing, and that can be all kinds of things. But the simplicity of the spirit of prayer is, he hears me. <laughs> that will set you on fire. I can ask for anything. That God's kingdom is released through asking. Psalms 2. Nations are raging. Everybody's upset. I want to rule Jerusalem. He goes, I don't think so. My son's getting Jerusalem. And this is how I'm going to give him his kingdom. Ask of me. I will give you nations for your inheritance. Isn't that wild that Jesus has to ask the Father for his inheritance? You have to ask the Father for your inheritance. Amen. Let's stand. That's faith. Luke 18, I'm going to raise up, not a widow beating down an unjust judge's door, but a bride speaking into the just judge of the earth's ear, whose defense attorney happens to be our great high priest. (laughs) Hallelujah. How much more will God grant justice to his own elect who cry out to him day and night? His own elect. You know what that means in our terms? The bride. The ones he cherishes, the one he adores, 
Guys, I want to tell you right now, we need a new, everybody put your head, hand on your mind. <laughs> I'm going to release a little Zechariah 3 on you. Take the turban off his head and put a new turban. New thoughts of God, new thoughts of you, new thoughts of how he releases his kingdom through you. Take off the dirty robes and put on clean robes. It says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I want to tell you there is a mandate for Boston, for the city of Jerusalem. There's a connection. There's some connection. The Lord wants to release. I, I think it's happening all over the earth, but there is a direct connection in the spirit realm between Boston and Jerusalem. Come Holy Spirit, new, new, new mind, new mindsets, a new vision of God, and new robes, priestly robes. And he says, if you keep this charge, I'm going to give you places to walk amongst those who stand here. Just open up your hands now. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you. in this room God. it's not about you and you trying to stir up some emotional connection it's about your union with Christ take us higher take us higher beloved right now you are hidden with Christ in God you are buried with him in the baptism of death and raised with him in the newness of life now seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places.
Holy Spirit. Make him best friend. Make him your best friend. does not abide in the house let my people go that they may worship me God I pray for Bethany Daryl these ones this remnant raise up deliverers Jesus Jesus 
that anointing that was upon Moses. your life right now he's doing it he's setting you free there's a groan in your own life no more fear no more fear you shall know the truth truth shall make you free the truth of who you are truth of who he is truth of how his kingdom is released it's when you ask him Father release the spirit of prayer upon this company release the spirit of prayer break off fear and release faith break off fear release faith
lightly begin to pray right now. Just engage with the Holy Spirit. Engage with Him. The greatest ways that I've found of fellowshipping with Him is through praying in the Holy Spirit. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit.
just look him right in the face. Just wash every mind and every heart right now. Wash away the refuge of lies. Isaiah 52, Lord, loose ourselves from the bonds around our neck. Shake ourselves from the dust. And we put on beautiful garments. Beautiful garments. <sighs> beautiful God. Hephzibah, the Lord delights in you. We speak a new name over the church of Boston. The Lord delights in you. He's going to bring you all out of religion of fear, guilt, shame. God, release spirit of prayer upon us today. Go to the deep places, Holy Spirit. Spirit of revelation, touch us. Spirit of revelation, touch us. What happens when I open my mouth and speak into your holy heart? What happens, God? Make it known to us, God. Hallelujah. I'm just going to stay in this. I'm going to probably continue to minister to you. If you'd like prayer, I just ask you to step out to the aisles right here. We'll pray for you. Step out in the aisles. If I can't get to you, if we can't get to you, step out here in the aisles. We're just going to minister to the Lord. We're going to go ahead and bring this officially to a close and just continue to be before the Lord. I brought a few products with me out here if you want to pick them up. But we're just going to go right through here. I'm going to pray for you. Lord's just washing your souls. Holy Spirit, meet us. We'll be back together at 7. 7 o'clock in here tonight. And on your way out the doors, there's baskets on either sides. I just encourage you to sow into Corey's life and ministry. And let's be like God in nature. Let's be extravagant in giving. <laughs>